Well, good morning, y'all. It's it's nice to be back and to see y'all and to, to be around y'all again. Um, Vanessa and Judas and their greetings. And uh, Judah has been NPO, which means he can't eat any food or drink for the last week. But last night he had a popsicle. And so that was exciting just to have those little steps and uh, just the um, the positive baby steps that the Lord's letting us take right now. Um, so I have the honor of preaching this morning and to close out our Apostles' Creed series. So we started that back in January, and now 10 months later, we're wrapping that series up. Um, so I think it would be fitting. We haven't done this for every uh, Apostle Creed sermon, but I think it would be fitting to recite it together today. So if y'all would, please stand and uh, let us lift our voices up together as one body, but also with, as one body with past and present Christians who have said these same words over the years. So Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father Almighty, the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, and the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Thank you. Y'all can be seated. Now, for the first part of this sermon, I'm going to uh, speak specifically to the kids. I've got uh, two things I want to say to y'all. So, kids, if y'all would listen up, uh, put down whatever you're working on, and uh, eyes up here and listen. Um, I have two exciting things that I want to share with y'all. So, the first one, uh, this wasn't planned, but we actually already talked about it a little bit earlier, but um, the next family Sunday that we have, which will be the last Sunday in November, that's the first Sunday of Advent. So that means we're going to be getting ready for Christmas. So the next time y'all are in here, this room is going to be decorated and we're going to be celebrating Christmas and preparing for that. Now, one of my favorite memories as a kid uh, uh, from church in the Advent season was the Advent uh, candle. So we'll have that up here probably somewhere. And what I figured out as a kid was each week we lit one of those candles and that actually was a countdown for Christmas. That was something I love because that meant we're getting closer to Christmas. So get excited about that. Um, now, the reason I bring up uh, Christmas um, is because in our home, we're starting to talk about it. We're, uh, you know, my boys, Makai and Judah, are starting to um, prepare their Christmas wish list. And uh, uh, the sermon today is going to be based in Psalm 27. And there's a verse in there that kind of reminds me of a Christmas wish list. And so, uh, you know, I kind of thought of that and I wanted to share that with y'all. So, uh, in Psalm 27, verse 4, David says, One thing have I asked of the Lord that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. So the number one thing on David's wish list, his Christmas list, is he wants to dwell in the house of God forever. He wants to be in God's house forever and ever to gaze on his beauty. Now, I'll be honest with y'all. If you were to ask me what's my Christmas list, that wouldn't have shown up on there. Um, and I'm just I'm being honest, but you know, I know as a pastor, maybe I'm supposed to say, oh, that's the number one thing, and that should be on yours too. But that's honestly not where my heart is. That's not the immediate thing that comes to mind. I think of all the gadgets, all the things that I would want. Um, so I was convicted of that when I thought about that. So I'm going to start today, and up until Christmas Day, I've kind of made a little personal goal. I'm going to specifically pray every day that God would grow me in my love for Him, that He would grow me in my desire to want to read the Bible, to pray 
and that God would make me think about heaven and that I would get excited. And so I want to ask y'all to do the same thing, that y'all would join me in doing that, that every day you would pray those things and that God might grow us in our love for him and grow us in our excitement and anticipation of heaven. So that's the first thing. Now, unfortunately, we can't stay in Christmas because we've got other holidays before us. So let's back up. And the second thing I want to talk to you all about is actually tomorrow. Now, of course, most of us know it's October 31st. So that's going to be Halloween. and you got costumes and candy and trick-or-treating. And as a side note, this, this wild and crazy beer that I've got going on is actually intentional. It's for my costume today or for my Halloween costume. So you can come to our fall fest and you'll see it because it's going to be awesome. Um, but tomorrow is not only Halloween, but it's also known as Reformation Day. And uh, we as a church, we love Reformation Day. We, we praise the Lord that that happened because <laughs> Reformation Day is uh, something that happened almost 500 years ago. And it happened in Germany. And a guy named Martin Luther, he read the Bible and said, hmm, the Bible says this, but the Catholic Church is doing this. This doesn't line up. So he protested. He said, hey, Catholic Church, you need to obey the Bible. You need to obey God. And so he became known as a Protestant or a Protestant. And then other guys over the years joined in that, that protesting. And so guys like John Calvin and John Knox and William Tyndale, they have become known as Protestants and became part of a movement that's the Protestant Reformation. And so we thank the Lord for those guys because through them, through their protesting, our eyes have been turned back to the Bible. We have been reminded that the Bible should reign supreme in our life. Now, the reason I bring up Reformation is because they had a phrase that they like to say, and it's kind of a funny sounding phrase. They said, post tenebris lux. Can y'all say that? Good job. So you just said Latin. You just said something in Latin. Now, Latin's an old language most of us don't speak anymore. But when you translate it into English, it stands for after darkness light. And that's been really heavy on my mind lately, just in personally with what my family's been going through. But also as I've been preparing this sermon, that's been weighing on my heart. Um, now, what does after darkness light mean? It means this. Light always comes after darkness. So tonight, the sun's going to go down, and what's going to happen outside? It's going to get dark. But then tomorrow, the sun's going to come up, and what's going to happen? That's right. So tonight, there will be darkness, but tomorrow, there will be light. Light always comes after darkness. So we live in a darkness. We live in a world where bad and scary and sad things happen, don't we? They happen to you. They happen to me. But we believe, as Christians, we believe that Jesus, who is the light of the world, is going to return one day. And that his light's going to be so beautiful that it's going to cause all the darkness, all the scary and bad and horrible things to run away and never come back. We believe that through Jesus, our sins are forgiven and that we are made white as snow. And that uh, because of him, because he has been raised from the dead... We will get to dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. We will get to live with our God happily ever after. So those were the two things I wanted to share with y'all. Um, so you can go back to your, your kids' bulletins. You can go back to making your Christmas list if you want to. Um, but thank y'all so much for listening. But I do want to ask y'all, keep your ears open during this sermon and keep listening. You can draw, you can write, but keep listening. Now, parents and adults in here, I pretty much just summed up my, summer, or summed up my sermon, um, but I do ask that you all would pay attention. Don't start working on your Christmas list just yet, but uh, if you would, continue paying attention. So we're talking about the Apostles' Creed. We're talking about specifically the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. I've said that we're going to be in Psalm 27, and I just spent a minute talking about this crazy Latin phrase to these kids about darkness and light. So how do those things tie together? Um, and I think 
there's a thread of hope that weaves those together and what unites those three things. And so that's what we're going to be focusing on this morning is, is hope, hope and darkness. Matt Chandler, who's the pastor of a church out in uh, Texas, the Village Church, he describes hope as this. He says, ultimate hope is the engine under the hood that drives us. What we put our ultimate hope in is what drives us through the day. It keeps us going. It's what gets us up in the morning and it gets us through the day. Now, we are a people who hope, right? We all have hopes. You families probably had hopes this morning that you'd get yourself, your spouse, your kids fed and dressed and in the car and to the church on time and that there'd be as little chaos and drama as possible. You students probably have hopes that you're going to do well on your schoolwork and your tests and your exams and all that stuff. So we are a people that hope in things. We, we put hope in money. We say, I've got bills to pay, so I hope I can make enough money to pay my bills and save up for retirement and save up for you know, fun things like vacations. We put hope in relationships. I hope that I do a good job loving my wife and my kids. And I hope that my kids and my wife, that they love me and support me and respect me and are proud of me. So we put hopes in things and those things are general hopes. And it's okay to hope in those type, to have a general hope in those kind of things. But what Matt is talking about in that illustration is the ultimate hope, the thing that drives us, the thing we believe that's going to ultimately satisfy us. And where we get into dangerous waters is when we take things that should only be general hopes and we elevate those to ultimate hopes. So when we elevate money to our ultimate hope, when we elevate a person to our ultimate hope, you get into dangerous waters because you can become an idolater and you're also going to be really let down because those things are going to fail you ultimately. But we as Christians, we know what our ultimate hope should be. It should be in Christ, right? And that's why we like the Apostles' Creed because the Creed is a summarization of the key foundational beliefs that we hold to. So the the creed reminds us of the promises and the things we ultimately should hope in. Now, the thing that's interesting about the creed is the last thing we talked about was the, the phrase before what we're talking about today is the forgiveness of sins. And sometimes we want to put emphasis just on the forgiveness of sins, right? We want to say, Jesus saves me and my sins are forgiven. But we as Christians also believe that there's going to be resurrection of the body and there's going to be life everlasting. See, if we don't believe in that, if we don't put our hope in that promise too, then Paul says that our faith is in vain. Because if we're only hoping in Christ in this lifetime, then uh, we are a people to be most pitied because once we die, that's it. But we don't believe that, do we? We believe that because Jesus was raised from the dead, that God is also going to resurrect our bodies and that we will have life everlasting. We believe that Jesus is going to return. He's going to judge the living and the dead. And upon his return, we will be resurrected. We don't believe we'll be resuscitated. I don't know about y'all, but I don't want to be resuscitated to this body. I'm only 31, so I know I'm still technically young. But I'm starting to feel the pains of aging. And I'm starting to feel what it's like to have my body break down. And I used to be able to drink all the Dr. Pepper I wanted. And it didn't affect me. But I had a glass the other night. And it knocked me out with heartburn. I mean, it stinks. So I don't want to be resuscitated to a body that's susceptible to heartburn. But Philippians 3 says, we will be resurrected to bodies that will be transformed into glorious bodies like Christ. And then we're going to experience life everlasting in the presence of our Father. We will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And see, it's, it's our hope in those things that should drive us. Those are the promises we should put our hope in. For me and Vanessa, last weekend was the darkest moment of our life. Okay? 
For those of you who know that don't know, our two-year-old son has cancer, been battling that, has gone through chemo, has gone through a bone marrow transplant. Last week, he got really sick, got moved to the ICU, and last Friday morning, we had two doctors come in and say, he's in pretty bad shape, but we don't know if he's going to make it through this. So that was the darkest moment that my wife and I had ever walked through. And it, we clung to those promises. We clung to the promise that just as that song said, that the tears that we're crying right now, that one day those are going to be just distant memories. They're going to be distant tales. Those are going to be just old you know, war stories that we tell with our buddies. If we had clung to money, if we had clung to ourselves, if we had clung to doctors, if we had clung to the medicines, we would have been let down. We would have been shattered in that moment because those things can't ultimately save us. We clung to the promises that we knew ultimately would satisfy us. And that's why I'm, that we're going to be in Psalm 27 today. Because I think when you look at Psalm 27, you see a man, you see David, who is in just complete and utter darkness. And he serves as a godly example of how we should live in dark times and how we should cling to ultimate hope. I think David sums it up well in verse 13. He sums up that ultimate hope by saying, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So I think Psalm 27 is a great place to be when we talk about the the ultimate hope of resurrection of the body and life everlasting. And I've got five points that I'm going to make uh, that I've seen from Psalm 27. Now, you can make a, I'm sure you can make a ton more points, but these are the five that stood out to me. So the first one is Psalm 27 demonstrates to us and reminds us that only God is able to rescue. There are 14 verses in Psalm 27, and 10 of those verses in some form or fashion, they deal with darkness. I'm not going to give you all, I'm not going to read all 10 verses, but I'll give you a couple examples. Verse 2, he talks about evildoers assailing me. He talks about his adversaries and his foes. In verse 3, he talks about an army that encamps against him and war that arises. In verse 10, which is a heartbreaking one, he says, my father and my mother have forsaken me. And then in verse 12, he kind of reaches the deepest, part of the pit, where he says that my adversaries that have risen up against me, they breathe out violence towards me. The air that they exhale is hatred and cruelty directed towards me. These people who were image bearers of God, who were created by God to glorify God and to enjoy him forever, sin has drawn them so far away from that original design that their sole purpose in life is to destroy David. So David is in this deep, dark pit that some of that really we're not, none of us are going to experience that we're not going to have someone who is bent on our destruction and yet all 14 verses that david writes somehow points back to god as the one who rescues it points back to god as the reason why we don't need to fear as he says in verse one the lord is my light and my salvation whom shall i fear in verse 10 where he, his father and mother have forsaken him he says but the Lord will take me in. And in verse 12, when he talks about the adversaries that breathe out violence, he says to God, give me not up to the will of my adversaries. It's God he cries out to and says, don't let me be turned over to them. So Psalm 27, over and over and over, every verse reminds us that God is the only one capable and able to rescue us. The second point is, Psalm 27 demonstrates that times of darkness have a way of revealing where our ultimate hope lies. If we go back to verse 4, 
He says, one thing I have asked that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So we just established that David is in this, is in this deep, dark pit. And yet the one thing he wants, he doesn't ask for a victory. He doesn't ask for vengeance. He says, I cling to the promise and I can't wait for the day that I'm going to be in your house forever and ever and that I get to gaze upon your beauty. His ultimate hope is not in himself. It's not in his armies. It's not in his abilities. His ultimate hope is in the Lord. His ultimate hope is in our light and our salvation. When we walk through the fires and the storms of life, they're able to reveal where our ultimate hope lies. And when we face trials, the emotions that we experience in those trials can serve as as a a gauge for us to help determine where does my hope lie. Going back to that Chandler illustration, he says the emotions that we experience, they're kind of like the check engine light. So when when you're in the midst of a trial and your emotion, your response is just crippling fear and anxiety, or your response is bitterness or your response is to fly off in a fit of rage or your response is selfishness, then that's your check engine light coming on saying, hey, you need to examine your heart because you are putting your hope in something that's not satisfying you. Because if our ultimate hope truly and solely lies in the promises of God, then even in the midst of the storm, we can respond like David and say, the one thing I want is just to be in your presence. So my challenge to y'all, my encouragement to y'all is In the trials, when you have emotions that you're ashamed of, repent, turn away from those, but also remember that that's a check engine. Like that's You need to examine your heart and say, Lord, where am I not surrendering to you? The third point is um, Psalm 27 demonstrates that God hears our cries and he answers. Verse 7 says, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, Be gracious to me and answer me. And we see in verse 5, For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. So we see David cry out to God. And we also see that God does answer. He does uh, protect him and provide that shelter. And I think this point, I think this is one of those, we know it and we kind of gloss over it real fast. Like, yeah, of course God hears me. But I think this should cause us to stop and marvel at that truth. That the almighty, the all-knowing, the all-powerful creator of the universe who holds all things in his hand, who has all authority and dominion over all of creation, hears our cries and answers our cries. That we, these sinful people who are disloyal, uh, doubt him and distrust that he would still hear our prayers and he would still answer them. So even when my two-year-old is lying in bed sick and I don't know what's going to happen in the next 24 hours, or even when your loved one is diagnosed with a terminal illness, or when the, the depression that haunts and hounds you and tells you this life isn't worth living, or when your finances are in shambles and to top it off, you just lost your job and so you don't know where your money's gonna come from, you don't know how you're going to pay your bills. When your world feels like you're falling apart and the darkness has hidden God's face from you, cling to the promise that God is there and he hears you and he will answer you. The fourth point 
is Psalm 27 demonstrates that we need to listen for and we need to respond to God's voice. Verse 8 says, You have said, Seek my face. And my heart says to you, Your face, Lord, do I seek. Verse 11, Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Paul David Tripp, in a book called A Shelter in the Time of Storm, uh, he says that every day we have thousands and thousands of voices that are, uh, that are speaking to us. And the majority of those voices are not grounded in biblical truth. And he goes on to say, These voices tell me who I am. They tell me what life is about. They tell me how to invest my time. They tell me how to use my resources. They tell me how to conduct my relationships. They tell me what is true and untrue. They tell me what my goals should be. They tell me what the good life looks like. They tell me what I should be and do and want. They offer me a comprehensive system of wisdom that's well thought through and attractive on many levels, but that competes with the true wisdom that can come only from God. And then he ends with a warning. It's so easy to be taken captive. And that word captive made me think of war. And that's what it is. We, every day we go to war and we have thousands of voices speaking into us, trying desperately to direct our attention away from God and to the things of this world. So how do we combat those lies? How do we distinguish that's a lie and I need to reject it? Well, we have to know the truth. And the only way we can know the truth is to be students of the word. We must daily spend time in the word. We must daily store it in our heart and store it in our minds so that we know God's voice. We know his words so that as these voices are bombarding us, we can distinguish those are lies. I need to reject those. But this is truth and I need to cling to that. But not only do we need to be hearers of the word, not only do we need to be knowers of the word, we must be doers. Remember what he said in verse 8? He said, you've said, seek my face. So he heard God's voice say, seek my face. And then his response was, I hear you and I'm going to do that. I'm going to seek your face. So we need to know God's word so we can hear his voice. And we must respond. We must obey when we hear his voice. All right, and the fifth and the final point Psalm 27 demonstrates that especially in times of darkness, the best thing we can do is to wait on the Lord. Verse 14 says, wait for the Lord, be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. I think that's a hard one for us, isn't it? Because I think our mindset is, I don't want to wait. I want to just take action. I want to do. And that's kind of the, the, the mantra in our society, right? It's, it's, uh, Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you know, suck it up, you know, press on. But we're told to wait. This, the last command that we have in Psalm 27 is to wait on the Lord. It says, wait on the Lord, and in the midst of that waiting, be strong and courageous. Now, I think part of the reason, I think one reason we don't like that is because of the fact that we want to jump in, we want to do, we don't want to just wait around. But there's another reason we don't like waiting. Because when we think of waiting, we think of wasting time, don't we? I don't know about y'all. Well, I'm sure half the room's going to feel opposite of what I'm about to say. But I hate shopping, okay? Um, I want to go get what we need to do and go. Let's not spend time in the store. My wife wants to go up and down every aisle, pick up everything, look at it. She wants to put clothes on for fun. Then she wants to go look at the store across the street because that one just opened and she wants to see what they sell, even though it's clearly from the exterior, not a place that we would be shopping typically. <laughs> so I don't like that. Now, maybe you can't relate to that story, but 
I know we can all relate to the idea that we've had to wait and it felt like a waste of time. I mean, think about your probably most recent doctor's appointment where you sat in the waiting room and you thought, my appointment was 30 minutes ago, but I'm still out here. And it was a waste of time. It was I could be doing something better right now. But that's not what God is saying for us to do. He's not saying, I want you to wait simply to waste your time. But I think for us to fully understand uh, what it means to wait on the Lord, we have to make two clear distinctions. So first off, the first distinction is when we wait on the Lord, we're waiting because God says, I will work for those who wait on me. So when we wait on the Lord, we're not sitting in his waiting room, twiddling our thumbs, waiting for a chance to go sit before him and say, hey, God, here are my problems. Can you help me? No, God already knows those problems because he lovingly and sovereignly ordained the trials that we're facing. He allowed those into our lives. So he already knows what's going on. So we're not waiting to have an audience with him to to enlighten him. We're waiting because he is already working for us. He is already fighting for us. And so because of that, because of that knowledge, we can be strong. We can be courageous. And in that midst of waiting, when it does begin to feel, all right, I'm wasting time, we can combat those lies and say, no, I'm going to be strong and courageous because I know that God is fighting for me right now. And I'm not capable of rescuing myself. It's only him. But the other distinction we have to make is this. We don't wait on God like we would wait on a mechanic who's fixing our car or we would wait on a waitress to bring food to our table. We don't, God doesn't owe anything to us, okay? So we don't, when we wait on the Lord, we're not waiting on him simply because, all right, God's gonna fix my problem and I just need to wait on that to be done. Because the reality is, let's think that logic through. If that's how it works, if I wait on the Lord and he's gonna solve my problem, then how in the world do we explain that to a person who just lost a loved one? How in the world do we explain that to a person who just lost their job They'd say, I was waiting on the Lord, and yet he took this loved one from me. I've been waiting on the Lord for years, and yet I'm still afflicted with this illness or this whatever. We don't wait on the Lord because he is fixing the problem for us. The reason we wait on the Lord is because instead of us waiting on the Lord to fix our problem, we're waiting on the Lord to use the trials that we're facing to fix us. He uses the trials. He uses the waiting to transform us. It's through the trials and the waiting that he exposes the idols in our life. He says, I want all of you, but there's things you're holding on to. So I'm going to allow these trials. I'm going to allow this darkness into your life so that I can reveal to you where you're not hoping in me. The waiting and the trials, they make us a people dependent on God. The waiting and the trials, they exercise and they increase our patience. And ultimately, the Lord uses the waiting and the trials to draw us closer to Him. He uses them to draw us into a deep and intimate relationship with Him. Um, So the band, right before this uh, sermon, the band played a song called After the Last Year Falls, and it's... um, by the, the amazingly awesome musician Andrew Peterson. And I personally requested <clears throat> this song because I felt like it would fit today. Um, and it's, I think it's a, a tragic, but it's also a beautiful song because the tragic part talks about you know child, children starving, innocence being lost. It talks about death. It talks about broken relationships. But it's beautiful in the sense that it talks about there's going to come a day where those things will happen one more time and then that's it. 
never again. Never again is a, a marriage going to be broken because of sin. Never again is someone going to lose a loved one. Never again is a child going to starve. Never again will a young girl's innocence be stolen. Never again will death take lives. Never again will we cry. As the song said, those tears, those memories, all that sorrow, they're going to be distant memories. Post tenebrous looks, after darkness light. We live in darkness right now. Bad, scary, and horrible things happen, and they happen to you, they happen to me. But we cling to the promise that one day Jesus, the Son, is going to return, and his light will be so bright, will be so glorious, will be so majestic, that it's going to banish all of darkness. It's going to banish all scary and bad things. And we cling to that promise. We cling to the promise that there will be a day where there's going to be no more tears and we get to dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Now we're going to transition uh, to communion. And this is a time for believers to gather around the table and to rejoice and celebrate what God is doing. So whether you're a member here or whether this is your first time visiting, if you are a believer, please know that the table is open and you're welcome to join us. If you're not a believer, we do ask that you would refrain from eating at the table because God designed uh, communion to be something specific for his children. But I want to challenge y'all. If you do not believe in these promises that I just spoke about, if I want you to think, what do I ultimately hope in? Do I hope in money? Do I hope in relationships? Do I hope in my own abilities? Do I hope in my intellect or my education? What do I hope in? And then I want you to be honest with yourself and say, when I die, are those hopes going to help me? Are they going to actually be able to offer me resurrection of the body and life everlasting? We as believers say, no, there's only one way. There's only one person that offers that, and that's through Jesus Christ. Would you all pray with me? God, you are our light and our salvation. And whom shall we fear? God, in the midst of darkness, in the midst of trials, make us a people that cling to the ultimate hope, the promises that you have put forth through your word, and that you would carry us through the trials. Thank you, Jesus, that you came into this world, that you died for us, and that through you our sins can be forgiven. And thank you, God, that it doesn't end there. Thank you that you promised there will be a day where you will, ret- you will send your son back. You will resurrect our bodies. You will transform our bodies into glorious bodies like Jesus, and that we will dwell in your house forever and ever. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.